Well, we have uh, several guests with us today. We can't mention them all by name, but there are, I, be- I believe, 25 to 30 potential students and their parents here today for a red carpet weekend. Will you please welcome them? And I shouldn't say potential students. I should say future students at ENC. I have a word from the Lord. You're supposed to come here next year, just so you know. Uh, that's for you. Well, it's wonderful to have you. Just one quick announcement. Destination Unknown is this Sunday. We do have a sign-up sheet here up front, and uh, Robert Benjamin has one in his office. There are a few spots remaining, so if you want to be part of Destination Unknown Sunday, uh, just sign up up here or in Robert's office. Hasn't it been wonderful having Reverend John Middendorf uh, with us this week for arrival? I want to thank John for coming all this way to be with us. It's been wonderful to have him here. And uh, we'll get to hear from him uh, one more time this morning. Will you please stand as we go to the Lord in prayer and worship. Heavenly Father, we come before you grateful, again, for your many blessings in our lives and all that you've done and do and continue to do in our lives. May we be good stewards of all that you've given us. We take just 50 minutes out of our day now to gather together as a community and worship you. There is no greater thing we can do than to give you praise and glory and honor. May we do so not only in these 50 minutes, but every minute of our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. That was horrible. Let's try it again. Good morning. All right. So I'm going to ask you guys to do something really quick. I want you to turn to two people and give them a hug and a high five. All right. Two people next to you. One hug, one high five. All right, now I got a quick question for you guys. Are you ready to praise? Are you guys ready to praise? Let's go, Lionel. Come on. Come on, guys, let's go. This song is called Every Day. Sing along with me, okay? Let's give praises to God. What to say? What to say? And I can't explain just how much you mean to me now That you have saved me, Lord I give all that I am to you That every day I could be a light that shines your name Yeah Come on, let's sing together what to say Here we go Come on What to Oh, no more that you would die. 
Come on, let's sing along together. Come on, let's go. It's you I live for every day. It's you I live for every day. It's you I live for every day. Come on. It's you I live for, God. It's you.
to fill us up, Lord. From the very depths of us, Lord, we cry out to you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Help us know that you are near with us. As Pastor John said, let us breathe in you now. Fill us up, Father. Fill us up, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We just ask that you keep breathing into us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you guys very much. Zach, we'll give these folks one more round of applause. They are unbelievable. travel a little bit. I get to be on several different college campuses, and there is something good going on here. There is something really good going on here. We, Kelly and I have had a great time this week, and, and we know that something is really good going on here because we've been able to spend some time with you, with your student leadership, with your administration, the faculty, and something good, something good is going on here, and we're just glad to be a part of it this week. Have you ever had somebody say something to you, Right? And then somehow they float in there, the mysterious air quotes. And when they floated in the air, the air quotes, you're not sure what they mean, right? Here, let's go and do a little bit of, a, of, a, of an example here. Look at the person on your right or left. Doesn't matter. Just choose one. Keep your hands to your side and say, you are very special. Ready? Go. Ready? Okay. Right. That's right. Now, watch this. Watch. Watch how strange this gets. Ready? Ready? Look at that same person, but this time go, you are very special. Okay? See? See? You see what I mean? When they, when they do this, when they put in the air quotes, you don't know what they mean. It, it, when they do this, when they put the air quotes in, you kind of think, okay, they're meaning something other than special, and I'm not sure what they mean, but maybe they mean the opposite of special. I found this cool, blo- this cool blog, actually. It's called the Unnecessary Quotes Dot com and, and Carissa, help me up there. We've got some, uh, I want to show you some of the pictures. People send in these pictures from all over the nation. All right, here. <laughs> Please keep your dogs off the grass. Now, I'm not sure if that's just an ugly child or what that is, but please, <laughs> please keep your dogs off the grass. How about this one? Next one. <laughs> hey, if you go to this restaurant and you order the burger and the waitress says, hey, would you like cheese on that? Say no. No. Do want, do not want cheese on that. How about this next one? Thank you. It's been our pleasure to serve you, right? The, the air quotes sort of mess up the message there, right? You're not sure what's being communicated, and maybe it's the opposite. Here's another one. We use real spuds. I promise. They're real, okay? Now don't, don't eat there either. Here's, here's my favorite one, I think. Now, can you see this one? Somebody has to go and do this to him. Come on. Now, how safe do you feel, right? If that's your security guard. Here's the problem. Faith has a lot of incredible words and phrases. Faith has a lot of incredible words and phrases. And the problem is that sometimes to all of those folks out there who don't yet know our God, sometimes to all those folks out there, when we talk, it's almost as if we all the time are using air quotes because we Christians are fond of saying, we love you. But the, out there, they kind of hear it like this. We love you. It, it's a problem when our Christian beliefs stay up here in the air quotes. Would you agree with that? As long as our Christian beliefs and our words and our phrases stay up here in the air quotes, not only do they not know what we mean out there, but I'm not sure that we know what we mean. When we leave our Christian words and phrases up here in the air quotes or just in frames on the walls on those needle pointed pillows in your house, until words like love and forgiveness get out of the air quotes and reach all the way to the ground, then words like love and forgiveness, when we say them, can't do the work that God designed them to do. And love and forgiveness, here's what they're designed to do. They are designed, when we Christians say them, when we Christians use the terminology of love and forgiveness, they're not just supposed to be about warm fuzzies, but love and forgiveness, given the opportunity, can change the world. But not when we Christians leave them up here. Not when we leave them up here such that they are out there. They don't really know what we mean. 
when we leave them up here, I'm pretty sure that we don't know what we know. So I have sort of given you an overarching title for this week's sermons, and it's been What God Wants. And the first two series, the first two sermons in this series, you know, if you were here on Wednesday, we did this thing about the Joker. Raise your hand if you remember that one about the Joker. If you weren't here, kind of here's what we said. Uh, we said that God wants to blur the lines between you and him such that you may get to a point where you don't know where you stop and he begins. Where your posture and your words and your attitudes and your behaviors are concerned. That God wants you. doesn't want just your commitment, as important as that is. What God wants is all of you. All that makes you, you. If you came back there Wednesday night, we kind of furthered that message even farther by giving a fresh image of God, the God who postures himself so as to be able to wrap his arms around you so that your response in faith is just to breathe in his presence. And yes, when you breathe in that presence, that when you breathe in the love that God has for you, it changes you. You get that? When you finally recognize that God loves you deeply, desperately, passionately, in non-score-keeping, non-coercive sorts of ways, when you realize that God knows all that there is to know about you and still chooses you and still loves you, what that can do is grow you. Now, if you were here last night, it was kind of a difficult sermon because what I said to you is, you are not allowed just to kind of take and just enjoy that love and keep it to yourself. That love is supposed to then spill out into the world around you in incredible, miraculous sorts of ways. And when that love that you have received then spills out and on to other people and other situations, that's when things change. Now, what do you mean things change? You, you mean like individual lives change, don't you? Yes. I mean individual lives can change. I mean maybe even households can change. I mean maybe even streets and neighborhood blocks can change. I mean it. I mean it. Maybe even cities, states, and nations can change. And the people of God, being loved by God deeply and personally and passionately, finally allow that love to unlock them in ways that they can around and then love. So I've got a few stories I want to tell you today as I, in my last sermon. Uh, we're going to be here in um, Romans chapter 12. Now this is the part where God says, I love you and I want all of you, okay? I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love what these guys did here today. And it, is, it was absolutely worship. It just wasn't all that worship is, right? It's the singing part of worship, but there's another part, the embodied part of worship. In other words, what God is saying here is this. I love you deeply and desperately, so much so that I want you to give your entire self to me. And in giving your entire self to me and responding with a lived out, I love you too, that's the point at which you will be not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And with that living sacrifice, God says, and he's talking to all of us and not just one of us, in, in Oklahoma, we'd say it like this, all y'all. He's talking to all y'all, all right? When we hear that and receive that and then move with it, things change. Now, what does it look like? What does it look like when the people of God, when the body of Christ takes in this love and then intends to not only just kind of take it and hold it, but then spread it and spill it? Well, here's what it looks like. Look at this next verse here. Let love be genuine. Drain all the hypocrisy out of love. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Next one. Do not lag in zeal, but be energetic. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and extend hospitality to strangers. When love is embodied, when the love that you receive, you then turn around and embody to the world, this is kind of what it looks like. Next slide. Bless, oh, this is hard. I wish this wasn't in the Bible. But this is what love does. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them or curse at them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now, these verses now, this is Paul's best effort to tell the church in Rome what this love looks like when they march outside beyond their walls. So Paul has in mind that this actually kind of smallest church in Rome, we don't think there's any more than a hundred people in a city of a million. Paul is telling these hundred people, when you go home, when you go back to your city block, this is what this Christian love looks like when it is spilled onto the people around you. He has in mind that you will engage the culture, that you will be involved in the culture, that you'll be close enough to hear it when they're weeping. That you'll be close enough to hear it when they're rejoicing. And the Christian posture at that moment is to weep with those who weep and to party and rejoice with those who have something to rejoice about. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or uppity, but associate with the lowly. Next one. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When Christians use the word peace, we do not mean simply the absence of conflict. It comes from this Old Testament word, okay? And the term, you've probably heard it. In fact, if you know it, just the Old Testament word for peace is Shalom. Several scholars in the room. I like that. Shalom. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. If two people are in conflict, right, one of them pulls out a gun and shoots and kills the other, you don't have peace. You have the absence of conflict, but you don't have peace. Peace has sort of a musical sort of undertone to it. Peace is about harmony and living together. So what Paul is saying to you now is, take this love that you have received, this ridiculous, passionate, deep, constant love. Allow it to unlock you. And when it unlocks you, you'll be able to march outside of these walls and live at peace with people who aren't like you, people who don't look like you, people who don't smell like you, people who don't believe like you believe. And the people of God get it. They find ways to live at peace with people who aren't like them. I need somebody to say amen. Somebody say amen. Okay, good. When the people of God don't get it, stay with me. When the people of God don't get it, when they walk outside of church, all they see are enemies. We must protect ourselves from those bad people. Paul says, love them. Love them. Then he says this. This is a really cool image here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That's, that's tough too. Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'll take care of it. You don't have to take... Don't be a vigilante, Batman. (laughs) I'll take care of it. Then he says this. No, if your enemies are hungry, hopefully you're close enough to them to know when they're hungry, give them something to eat. If your enemies are thirsty, tell them that they're wrong. No, it says, isn't it? Give them something to drink. And then it says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Yes. Finally, a way to get, I'm going to burn the scalps off of the heads of my enemies. But I, I think we miss this hugely if that's the way you take this. If by reading this you go, okay, when I'm really nice to my enemies, they'll hate it. There's an incredible word picture here, and I'm going to do my best to try to describe it. Big cities like Rome typically had walls. Big cities like Rome typically had walls, and inside of those walls you'd have probably the wealthier people. The wealthier people could could afford the rent for an apartment inside of the walls in Rome. The poor folks actually lived outside of the walls. 
Now, sometimes the city would be on the ball enough to recognize that they still had some obligation or responsibility for the people who lived outside of the walls and the tents. And sometimes they were vast tent cities. Sometimes there were so many poor folks in and around these large metropolitan areas, sometimes there might be more people outside the walls than inside the walls. And so some cities would actually dig a fire pit. They would dig a pit, and they'd put all kinds of stuff in there, and they would set this all kinds of stuff ablaze. And they would put in there, as you would kind of think, they would put in there wood and all kinds of things that would burn, but they would also put in there rocks. And the rocks, while they wouldn't burn, would get very, very hot. Now, as you can imagine, a, if you have a very small tent, if you could find a way to get one of these very hot rocks into your very small tent, then the heat that would sort of emanate off of that rock could warm an entire tent, could warm an entire household, an entire family. You getting that? So the best places to have your tent the best places would be right there next to that fire pit, right? So, <laughs> catch this. The most fortunate of the poorest people would be the ones who had their tent on a cold night right there next to the fire pit. The less fortunate, among the less fortunate, their tents might be a long way away. And that's a problem because you might walk all the way over here and get your hot rock, as it were, right? And maybe maybe you would have some sort of a clay pot to carry this hot rock in. And most of the time, they would carry these clay pots on their heads. But because your tent was all the way over here, by the time you got your hot rock all the way over here, it wasn't so hot anymore. And then your tent, your family, your household would suffer you're so far from the source of heat over there. Now, sometimes this would happen. You know, the fire pit's all the way over here. And the people living next to the fire pit recognize that there are some folks who live so far over there that there's no way they're ever going to get heat all the way home. So sometimes what would happen is this. You would have people who would do the best they could. They would get this hot rock, actually, this coal, and they'd put it in a jar, they'd put the jar on their heads, and they'd be walking along. But maybe Corey and his family here, they recognized that by the time I got all the way down to my tent, the heat would be all but gone. So what Corey might do in an act of kindness, somehow shatter his rock or his coal and take a piece of it and put his in this same pot. And that very hot rock that he would add to my already sort of lukewarm rock would actually warm up the other rock as well. Keep making sense? So it might be that Corey would take some of the coals from his family's fire and in an act of sheer kindness, in an act of sheer kindness, would give me some of that heat. And because of his additional heat in this clay pot, the heat would last all the way until I got home. So Corey's act of kindness did not just warm my heart, did not just warm my life, but Corey's act of kindness actually has the potential to warm an entire household. Do you get it? When you heat burning coals on someone's head, that's what's meant there. An act of kindness that could actually change perhaps not even just one life, but maybe an entire household. Maybe your act of kindness, your unexpected act of love and grace and kindness could change a life Maybe, though, it changes an entire household. You get it? We Christians, we Christians are odd. <laughs> we're, we're an odd bunch. Look at this next slide here. We Christians are folks who do not repay evil for evil because we kind of have this belief that evil is overcome by good. At least, I hope that's what we believe. I hope that's not what we believe. John, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that an act of kindness and an act of love and an act of forgiveness can actually change a life or a household? I do. In fact, I think history can tell us that it might even change a nation. There's a young man by the name of Patricius who lived in the 400s along the coast of what we now call England. 
pretty smart kid at 16 who was already in the university studying philosophy and theology. Now, don't raise your hand, but everybody knows that philosophy and theology students are uber smart, right? <laughs> uber smart. I'm kind of too smart. I, I was one of those. I, I was one of those who was able to study my philosophy and my theology, and, and I was so smart because I learned all the words and the phrases, but so help me, while I was sort of learning them in college, I kept them up here. They weren't necessarily reaching all the way to the ground where God intends for them to go. And Patricia was that guy. Patricia seems to have been somebody who could learn the language and the terminology of faith, but it didn't mean that it necessarily got all the way to the ground. The unthinkable happened one night. Slave traders broke into his neighborhood. They actually abducted him and forced him back onto this little slave ship and took him all the way back to this island. And and these slave traders, these warriors, stripped him and beat him. And they sent him out into the hills and they said, You will watch these sheep. You will be sort of our employees. You will watch these sheep. You will be a shepherd for these sheep. And let me tell you something. We expect that you will stay alive. You will have to feed yourself. You'll have to fend for yourself. But if we come back and these sheep are harmed or missing or something like that and you're still alive, well, then we'll kill you then. 16-year-old religion-free man. And so we're not sure how long, but for months and maybe even years, Patricia lived fending for himself, shepherding as best he could, believing that every day might be his last. As the story goes, he started to think through all of the religious training he had gotten. And as the story goes, he started to have dreams, and in his dreams, Christ himself said to him, just get up and go home, risk it, go home. Well, as you might imagine, it took some time for him to summon the courage to do that, but he does, in fact. He gets sort of up and runs back to that port, and he finds the exact same captain of that exact same slave trading ship, and he says, I've got to go home. I don't know why. We don't know why. The captain of the ship said, okay, but he took him all the way back home. Back home to England. He burst through his family's front door. We think he's been gone for years now. Now, the household, the neighborhood was a shambles because this kind of thing had been happening, and so civilization was actually breaking down. But his family rejoiced like never before when they saw him come through the door. They threw party after party after party. They just loved on him as you would expect, right? And he settled into what he thought was going to be his next phase of life. And then he started having dreams again. And it was that same haunting voice that went like this. Patricia, I want you to go back to your house. This time, this time, not as their slave or servant, but as my slave. This time, I want you to voluntarily, I want you to willingly go back on that same ship and back to that same warlord. Now, as you might expect, Patricia thought the first time he had that dream that it was just something bad that he had eaten, right? So he just sort of passed it off. But he kept having the same dream over and over again. Now imagine his family's response when he started to communicate this dream that he was having. They said, oh, no, you won't, and we will lock you up, and they did. He had to break out of his house arrest. <laughs> but he broke out, and he went back to that same port. He went back to that same ship, and he voluntarily got on that ship and went back to that island, and he went back to that same village, back to that same warlord, walked directly up to this warlord, dropped on his knees and said, you made me serve you before. I serve you now by my own choice because I love you. The warlord on this faraway island then dropped to his knees this God who can change a person's life and heart. 
And rather than making Patricia serve as a shepherd boy, they should have inaugurated there their island school. Patricia was St. Patrick. St. Patrick was not Irish. She was a, an English slave. That because of the call to love and forgive and build bridges was able to change an entire Listen, I have preached to you the gospel of love and grace and forgiveness. But you have not heard me if you have simply understood the gospel of love and grace and forgiveness to be for you. If it is something that you just sort of hoard and keep, then you're not getting it. That doesn't mean that God loves you any less. I'm telling you, I could keep preaching, I could keep teaching, I could be here for two more weeks and say the same thing to you over and over again, and I would still not even scratch the surface of God's heart for you. But this love that God has for you is not something that you're supposed to hoard and keep. It is supposed to unlock you because the world is waiting for the people of God to change it. The cycle of the love of God is not completed until in and through you, the love of God reaches out and reorganizes a life or a household or a city or a country or a people. I get a little impatient with people who simply want to escape the earth and go to heaven. Because I think they under-respect and under-appreciate the power, the power of Christian love and forgiveness. I, I got a dare for you. In fact, I got a double dog dare for you. It's in Oklahoma. It's huge. Okay? I dare you to let the love and the passion that God has for you, I dare you to unleash it. I dare you to unleash it. I dare you to forgive, to reconnect. I dare you to love. I dare you to unleash God in your life. I double down dare. I want us to pray. And I'd like for you to, uh, and Linus, come play uh, Johnny Close for you again. Where, where's Johnny? Is he here? <laughs> Welcome to chapel, by the way. Sorry. That's all right. Are you going to do it? Awesome. Let's go ahead and play Johnny Close for you. I just kind of want you to hear this music as a backdrop. I, I want you to know that God does want to draw you close. But it's not just so that he can keep you close. It's because he wants to love you and bring love through you. I want you to allow God to drift your mind to those scenarios in your life right now. You okay, brother? All right, good. I want you to allow God to drift your mind to those situations, those scenarios, those people around you that might be right to change. God, we read that verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And to be honest with you, it seems so heavy. It seems so hard. We're not sure we can do it. Remind us, Lord, that we absolutely cannot do it. We cannot do it when we are separated from the love that makes all things possible. And the first part of my prayer has to do with reminding us all over again that you have reached for us. You have reached for us in an attempt to blur the lines between us. You have reached for us in an attempt to draw us so close that your love starts to build and grow us and move us to places we never could have gone before. God, so 
so fill us with this love, with this passion that you have, this knowledge of this passion that you have for us. So fill us with this love that we cannot keep it to ourselves. Now, God, guide guide us, guide us. Would you please drift our minds to those people, those relationships, those situations, those scenarios that you would like to reorganize through us by your love. Give us this deep sense of confidence that by our connections, because of our connections to you, because of the lines that are now blurred between us and you, that you can, in fact, move in and through us to rearrange and to renovate, to redecorate the lives around us. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we 